I won't say the exact amount, but this show made a little over a million dollars on 10 episodes, and that's how we started our company. So we didn't want to take venture capital. That was a big part of our, our company. And so that was kind of our seed money. And that's not an amount of money you make on a lot of shows. It was like very rare, and we knew that we could start a business doing this. So um, a lot of thought was given to that. But I don't ever expect to make that much money on something again. <laughs> What does it take to make a living in podcasting? What are some of the first baby steps you need to take to get your foot in the door? And if you're not part of a big studio, what's the bare minimum you need to get by? We're talking real talk in this session with Pineapple Street's Jenna Weiss-Berman, who you just heard, Danielle Dana from Science Friday, and Mandana Mofidi from Fusion. I am Sarah Gonzalez, and this is Work It! The Podcast, a selection of talks from the Work It! Festival for Women in Audio. Hi, everyone. How's it going? Day two, right? Um, so throughout this podcast festival... We've been learning how to pitch, produce, and package podcasts, but today we're gonna learn how to make a buck or two off of it, or in this case, a million bucks. Um, my name is Mandana Mofidi. I'm the executive director of Fusion Media Group, and I'm joined here by two powerhouse women, uh, Danielle Dana, executive director of Science Friday, and... <laughs> Jenna Weiss-Berman, co-founder of Pineapple Street Media. <laughs> so it's really interesting um, that they paired us all three together. We three come from very different media organizations mm -hmm. um, and have different revenue structures set up. So I think uh, in an effort to help you understand kind of how we work and how we make our money, we'll just each give a little tidbit about our organization. Um, I'll go first. Fusion Media Group is home to brands like The Onion, The AV Club, Jezebel, Deadcast, Gizmodo, The Root. And one of our jobs is to basically use and leverage the audience of those brands and create audio content from that. Um, yeah, that's us. Um, oh, yeah, we have, we have, we have a slide clicker. Uh, we get a lot of our revenue from CPMs. Um, uh, sponsored content, branded content, and recently grants. But I'll kick it over to Danielle, who can tell us more about Science Friday. Hey, um, I'm Danielle from Science Friday. Um, goodness, let's see, what we're known for is, you guessed it, Science Friday. Um, <laughs> Science Friday is predominantly a public radio program, um, although it does have a podcast as well. And within this last year, we also launched our first podcast endeavor um, outside of Science Friday called Undiscovered. I think we've got the host somewhere here in the audience. Um, we get our revenue from lots of different sources. So because we are predominantly a radio program, we have CPMs and advertising coming from the radio show. We have underwriters, sponsors, foundations. We're a nonprofit, so we have individual giving as well. And then we also have CPMs and kind of earned revenue um, for the podcast as well. So we also do events and um, see some earned revenue in that area. Um, I should just say something about my company. Okay. <laughs> I'm Jenna. My company is Pineapple Street Media. We launched about a little less than a year and a half ago. And it's been kind of a wild, wild ride because everybody wants a podcast right now. If you, you may know that. Um, and we have done a bunch of shows. Um, we do still processing for the New York Times. We did, uh, we do Janet Mock's show. We do Lena Dunham's show. We did a podcast with Hillary Clinton on her campaign. Um, we did Missing Richard Simmons, a controversial show yes. <laughs> that I actually think didn't violate any ethics, but we could talk about that another time. <laughs> um, and, uh, we make money in a bunch of ways that I'm going to tell you guys about because I think that people don't talk about money enough in this business, um, especially, especially women. And I've, uh, I think that um, talking about money and like actual numbers is extremely important, especially among women. So I hope that we can uh, help you guys a little make money on your podcasts. Awesome. That's awesome. Now, I know we have some audio clips. Yeah. Too. Um, I wanted to kind of give people an idea as to like how we turned 
what was our bread and butter, which is science and reporting on science and science news into two separate things. So um, right now we have Science Friday. It's a public radio program. It's basically um, Ira Flato. You may or may not be familiar. He's a veteran NPR um, and radio correspondent um, interviewing people in a live setting. Um, and we have kind of an audio clip here. So are the rocks just sitting out there on the ground? They are just waiting for us to come and find them. If you can imagine that blue ice that you saw back when you were in Antarctica, and then you just look and there's some dark spots on them, and those are rocks, and frequently those rocks are from space. <laughs> and um, next we have the clip from Undiscovered, which is two female hosts, both talking about science, but in a narrative format. Um, the interesting thing about this is this audio clip is actually the same woman talking about the same thing, but you'll see it's edited differently. Um, yeah, we can just play that. Out here in the middle of Antarctica, even the ice is alien. It's blue. These ice sheets, they're so old. This ice is so compressed. It reflects back blue light. So I can't really do justice to this color. It's something I'd never seen in my life before. It, it is the, almost the same color as the sky. And so on a beautiful cloudless day, sometimes it's really hard to tell the difference between where the ice ends and the sky begins. And there you have it. Awesome. Um, so. These women are here today because they have clocked in a million dollars for their respected podcasts and podcasts, and we're going to be here to talk about that. Um, you know, Jenna, you very openly have said that you love talking about money. So uh, why don't we kick it off to you first um, with some of the podcasts that have clocked in a million dollars and sharing with us the nitty gritty on how you did it. To be clear, I'm not like making millions of dollars <laughs> yeah, no, on, no, no. <laughs> on shows, um, but I wanted to give you guys like a couple of sort of case studies on two different podcasts and like the revenue potential and then the actual revenue. I feel like standing up, but Do maybe it. that's not, no, it's, it's probably not, not a good idea. They'll kill me if I pull this mic off of here, but I am going to raise it a little. Um, you know, posture, <laughs> confidence. Uh, let's see. So we started our business. Basically, like what Pineapple does is we do a lot of partnerships with interesting people to make shows. And um, we get paid either at, like a production fee from the companies we're working with, or uh, sometimes we will own part of a show. It's, there are a lot of different ways to make money. But um, the way that we launched our company was we, we were very conservative. We didn't start a company until we knew that we had a few shows lined up and ready to go uh, that needed production. So. We were approached by the New York Times. Um, we were approached by Lena Dunham, who I'd done a show with at BuzzFeed, and she wanted to take it independent. Um, and then we were also approached by some brands. So uh, we were kind of like, okay, let's just try this thing. So uh, <laughs> a major celebrity, whose name I accidentally just mentioned, uh, was um, <laughs> our first show. I was going to try to do this anonymously. Oh, and a thing I would love to say, actually, is that I'm, I'm all for, like, people tweeting things, but I want to, like, be able to talk kind of candidly about numbers here, and I would really appreciate it if you, if you didn't, like, tweet the exact uh, amounts I'm telling you about. Um, cool. Are we snap? That's, that's like Does that a, mean okay? Cool. <laughs> that's like a, okay, awesome. <laughs> okay, great. Um, so with this major celebrity-hosted show, uh, we, we made um, money on that in four different ways. We tried to find the ads on that, my company, my business partner and I. It was actually just the two of us at the time, so I was producing the show and he was looking for money for it. Uh, we did something called the presenting sponsorship that was the thing that we feel like we sort of made up, although I feel like other people have probably done it too, which is um, it's like a mention of a company in every episode. It's just kind of like a baked in, like maybe 10 second thing, thinking in this case it was MailChimp. Um, and Lena, <laughs> this, this uh, celebrity, <laughs> um, 
You're bad at this. <laughs> I'm just so, I tell you, like, I get in trouble all the time for speaking too openly about this stuff. So just don't tweet it and we'll be fine. Um, my business partner is mostly the one who gets mad at me. Uh, but yeah, so she had about half a million listeners to her first season. Um, each episode, which is really good for a podcast. Uh, and so we sold a presenting sponsorship. We sold it for $300,000 for 10 episodes. So 30000 an episode. Then we also worked with her agency to find some ads. So her talent agency found us. They also represented people from TBS. And we did a bunch of ads um, for Search Party in its first season, where... Uh, where Lena <laughs> talked to people on the show and it was like these kind of two minute very like produced interviews um, that we did as ads. Uh, so that was the second way we made money and we made a, about 350, 350,000 on that for three, for three episodes. Then we did, um, we were pitched, we talked to Clinique and they wanted to do a show with us um, and we... They wanted to do a branded show, and we sort of sold them on the idea of, like, look, it's hard. You know, we make branded shows, but it's not an easy thing to get people to listen to your branded podcast. So what if we had Lena Dunham host a full episode that was sponsored, which I hadn't heard done before. Maybe it's been done, but it was kind of this, like, weird idea that, you know, at first we were nervous about even presenting it to her, but... Um, it ended up being her interviewing like three interesting actors about their like activism and then it was all related back to Clinique. <laughs> um, so we sold like a full episode for 200000 and then we had additional ads at about a $50 CPM. Do you guys know what CPM, does anyone not know what CPM is? Yeah, it, I mean, I don't, I didn't either. Um, a CPM is, um, it's uh, cost per... Is it Millie? Mil yeah. So it's like, it's like cost per thousand listens. Um, and so when you're selling a podcast, it's something that you will have to like talk about a lot and have to like really know your shit on because most podcasts are sold based on um, how many listeners they have. So you can, you know, you might say like $50 for one pre-roll um, and, you know, and then if you have 10,000 listeners, that's, I, I'm not going to do the math right now, but uh, $5,000? And your, your CPM rate will, I think, change as you kind of get more listeners yeah. and as your advertising becomes kind of more valuable because there's less of it. Yeah, totally. Um, so this, I'm, I won't say the exact amount, but this show made a little over a million dollars on 10 episodes and we split it 50-50 with Lena and that's how we started our company. So we didn't want to take venture capital. That was a big part of our, our company. And so that was kind of our seed money. And that's like a very rare, like we don't, that's not an amount of money you make on a lot of shows. It was like very rare. And we knew that we could start a business doing this. So, um, a lot of thought was given to that, but I don't ever expect to make that much money on something <laughs> again. Uh, so yeah, so that was one show that did make over a million and then we could go to the next. Um, so, Missing Richard Simmons was one that should have made over a million dollars based on the CPMs alone. Um, it was one of the most listened to podcasts ever. It had two million listeners an episode. Now it's more than that. Um, we did six episodes. So if you sold four ads at $25 CPM, you should be making about $200,000 an episode when you have two million listeners. Um, and that was sort of a perfect storm of like, we were a new company, we were working with a company that was just starting to do podcasts. We had a third company come in kind of at the last minute to try to make the money, and it just, we didn't make the money. Um, luckily, my company was just paid a production fee for those, so it didn't matter that much to us if it didn't make money. But that's the kind of thing that, now that we know what happened there, we would change certain things in the future. So those are two examples, and I'm glad that you now know what a CPM is, because you'll, <laughs> you'll want to know that. <laughs> and... That's a really good question. <laughs> is it like Cost a million? Cost per thousand. Makes, yeah. Yeah. yeah you're... There you yeah. go. Cool. <laughs> you should have named it, though. That's a better idea. Yeah. Um, Danielle, now you have a different business structure set up. Uh, Science Friday is a nonprofit. You guys make your money through donations, mm -hmm. sponsors. Um, 
Talk about a little bit about how you guys make your money in terms of CPMs as well, or CPTs. Sure. Actually, I mean, it's interesting to kind of hear you talk about kind of that presenting sponsor, because for the um, the nonprofit, the nonprofit, we have a lot of foundation relationships existing. So what I did with Undiscovered was I actually approached a couple of foundations that we had existing relationships with and asked them if they wanted to be a founding sponsor of the podcast. So um, in that way, and I know that some of the other sessions here today have talked about that a little bit, use the existing relationships that you have to kind of see whether or not you can get some seed funding. Um, That kind of helped us get off the ground. A lot of um, podcasts are um, in a deficit after year one. So this kind of helped um, helped us get off the ground. We didn't really have to worry about money so much for season one. Um, season two is obviously then a different story. Um, you kind of have to make sure that your expenses are lining up with the, the income that you, you're generating. Um, but we still were getting CPMs. I think we have a very modest rate. Um, it's probably average for podcasts. We have, I think it's $25. Once again, don't tweet any of this stuff out because we're always (laughs) hoping for more. Um, So it's $25 uh, CPM for Undiscovered right now. And we expect in season two, because we already have a base of 100,000 listeners, that that will will increase. So how do you guys negotiate your CPMs? Is it based on the success of previous shows or is it kind of like where you are in terms of the market? Because as women, we usually set Mm -hmm. the market value. And I'm curious... Um, how you guys both do that. We talked a little bit about this. I think, in my opinion, it's constantly changing. So there are groups, um, mid-roll is one of them. It's one of the ones that's been mentioned a lot here um, that kind of help determine CPM, and they probably base that on on audience. Um, I think your podcast can be deemed more valuable depending on partnerships that you have and whether or not you have marketing channels kind of already in place, like an existing podcast where you can do some promotion. Um, What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think with CPMs, you base how much an ad costs um, partially on how many people might be like clamoring to buy the ads on that show. So... And then I think sometimes you add a premium. Like if Lena Dunham's going to be like promoting your product, mm-hmm. like I know people have all sorts of opinions about her, but um, it's it should be like, you know, it's extra valuable if you have like a major celebrity with like 5 million Twitter followers as the person who's voicing an ad. So in that case, you might, you know, we did some that were $200 CPMs, which is like, pretty pretty wild is but that's kind of what people will pay to have this kind of like major influencer um, talk about them and how much is the finance tied in both of your respective fields to producing the content like are you risk adverse or is it all tied to finance like how much of it is kind of a dance between the two great content but also making sure that it you know keeps the lights on yeah i mean i think gosh First, your podcasts are a risk. Yeah. Um, That's just, it it is what it is. Um, But I think the way that we work is kind of under constant evaluation. So it's not evaluating at the end of a season to see whether or not it's successful. Um, It's every episode. Who is listening? Are we increasing organically? Are you seeing that kind of growth? Um, Where are we with expenses? Is it this episode cost more than the other one because it was in production for longer or required more travel um, or because it didn't get advertising. Um, kind of, we're, it's day by day, I yeah, guess. For yeah, for sure, monitoring it, yeah. keeping it. Yeah. Um, we do, we have like, we do a lot of branded stuff and um, part of our view with that stuff is that, although less and less, but our, our thing with that is that if we can get a kind, a certain kind of podcast that really pays the bills, then we can take more risks. So, mm-hmm. you know, the reason that we can do like a Janet Mock show in a first season, or um, we do a lot of pro bono work. So we do a lot of work with kind of like leftist organizations. Uh, so we just did like a pilot with Daily Action, which is a cool like resistance organization. I do this show, Making Gay History, and I do that for free. Um, I just like record them and edit them every week uh so when we're going into things we're thinking like you know how much is this going to pay and what else can it fund that is going to pay less basically which has been it feels good to me because it it means that like if i'm working with you know a 
I don't work with super controversial brands, but like if I'm working <laughs> with a controversial brand on something, I I like to think of it as like, well, I'm also like, you know, maybe gonna help the ACLU launch their podcast with that money. So, um, yeah, that's about it. Speaking of controversy brands, <laughs> I mean, is there anyone that you wouldn't accept money from? And if so, why? For us, that's a definite yes. <laughs> um, Science Friday was founded predominantly as like a news program. So um, and we kind of kind of kept that mentality with Undiscovered. So anything that's going to impact um, our integrity as a show. So anybody that is trying to influence content, it's a no-go for us. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of people we we wouldn't want to take money from, and we wouldn't take money from them. And an interesting thing is that when we were starting out, we were thinking about venture capital. It's like a crazy time for podcasts, obviously, and I think Gimlet has really opened the door for venture capitalists to be, like, extremely excited about podcast companies. So we talked to a few places, um, and we decided against it because we really like the idea of, like, having full control over our shows and not having to, you know become a hundred million dollar company to like make a venture capital a venture capitalist rich um but we when we were talking one of the questions that somebody asked in one of these venture firms was like they were like we know you guys are doing this hillary clinton show what we want to know is that you would do a donald trump show if it paid enough money and we in we like didn't answer them (laughs) in the meeting like whoa that's so you know but like their whole thing was kind of like you do what makes the most money and if that's what's going to make the most money you do it and that was really like that was like a a turning point for us in in being like oh yeah we don't want to take venture capital money because we never want to have to like compromise our values that hardcore the answer is we'll never do a Donald Trump show no matter how yeah. much money it pays. I hope that's <laughs> obvious. No, you shouldn't even clap. Like if I if if I like was gonna do that, it'd be the worst asshole in the world. So um yeah. Yeah, I mean I think one of the things that um we touched on both earlier is like presenting sponsorship or founding sponsorship. Um undiscovered is planning a different model for this next year. So one of the things that we've been looking at in terms of like making deals is not looking at the season as a whole, but also episode by episode. Um, It kind of helps you break things down a little bit more. If you have an episode that you think is going to appeal to a certain funder or is going to appeal to a certain advertiser, um, that's kind of, it's an opportunity that you should take. Both of you wear many hats in your organization, um, editing with the actual content, leveraging the talent, figuring out new story ideas. I'm wondering how much time do you actually spend fundraising and um, focus on the money portion of the business? Thankfully, I never edit. Um, That's probably (laughs) good for everybody here. Um, But um, gosh, I... I think I'm always fundraising, and I think we talked about this like a little bit earlier. Um, I think if you are involved in a podcast, a product, anything, you are always an advocate for that product. You are always out there talking about it, selling it in one way or another. The difference is I'm probably asking people for money half the time um, to support it, but I think that I'm kind of always fundraising in some capacity or another. Yeah, I'm not always the one who's like, you know, talking exact numbers from the beginning, but it's been it's been kind of fun starting a business because I was like a podcast producer for like you know ten years or a little bit more, and I didn't realize how interested I would be in the money side of things. <laughs> and then I've gotten like really probably too obsessed with it, where I have like just like crazy spreadsheets and like projections, and um, so it's probably like thirty percent of my time right now is thinking about uh, about like where the money is coming from and how to bring it in. And only recently have podcasts started really making money. Like, I, I know we talked about it earlier. Maybe Serial was kind of the one that put it on the map. Um, I'm curious for those of the people, the people out here that maybe are just starting or have a podcast that's not making money, but they want to figure out ways to make money, what your advice is to them. Go for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it's really, it's important not to be discouraged if you have like an independent podcast um, and you want to make some money off of it. it. It takes a while to build an audience and to build a following. And it takes a lot of confidence, I think, to try to really like talk to somebody and tell them why they should give you money. Um, but I think what's cool about podcasts is that you can really, you can target pretty niche audiences and, mm-hmm. um, 
So if I have like a knitting podcast, maybe it, you know, maybe it has 5,000 listeners or 2,000 listeners, but maybe I can go to my like local yarn store and say like, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> yeah. So like go to your local yarn store and be like, Hey, I have this podcast. It's like the only podcast about knitting and like you can sponsor it for just like, you know, 200 bucks a show and like everyone will hear this and, you know, get a promo code set up and, um, and the, the return, the ROIs or like the returns for these <laughs> are really like for podcasts are very high. Like I saw Mark Marin's producer speak once and he said that about 80% of their listeners have like actually gone and bought one of the products that Mark Marin is talking about, which is like, that's why these CPMs are getting higher because if you're just looking at like an internet ad, um, <laughs> I just said internet ad. Uh, if you're just like, <laughs> if you're like looking at something on the internet, um, you'll probably scroll right by it. But if you're like listening to a host that you like love and trust talk about a product, it actually is really helpful. So if, if you have 2,000 listeners and you know 50 of them go buy yarn at that store, it's been very valuable for that store. So I think you you can really start small and uh, you know talk to different places about about sponsoring your show. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I think that there is an audience for probably everybody's idea here, whether it's like, you know, a 2 million person audience, that's, I think, to be determined. But you can find people to listen to what your ideas are if the content is well produced and if you're marketing right. So don't be afraid of partnering, whether that be partnering with a store to kind of help them reach your audience through advertising or whether that be through events or you just want to kind of explore lots of different options to kind of increase your audience and find those those groups of people. And then from there, you know, assuming that you're not like, you know, eating toast every day, <laughs> I think they're also, you should be evaluating your expenses. So if in year one, you decide to spend a lot of money on, on art, um, you know, maybe if you take a, do a survey with your audience end of year and determine that they didn't really notice that you spent a lot on art, then you cut that the next year. So I think that you need to be kind of under constant evaluation to figure out what makes sense and what doesn't. And eventually you'll kind of find that happy medium where you're making money. Yeah. It's a dance, right? Between mm -hmm. the passion project and also bringing in the money. Right. Yeah. Um, I know I mentioned this, but I went to this talk with a Puff Daddy and he was talking about it. <laughs> it's, it's very interesting. I, I'll get to it. I but he walked away from a multi-million dollar deal, like in the 40s, 40 million, because it was $2 million short of where he wanted it to be. And I'm wondering, you know, as we start making, as women start making podcasts and we're in this world and... Um, have you guys ever walked away from a deal that maybe was a few thousand dollars short from where you needed to be? Or do we not have that luxury yet? Yeah, I mean, I, th I think you do. I mean, I just walked away from one um, like a few months ago because, I mean, I can go back to them if I want to as far as I'm concerned. Um, we'll see what <laughs> they say. But like, I just, I wanted to explore what else was out there. So, some, you know, I think not always taking the first offer you get is sound advice. Yeah. Yeah. And I know we're talking a lot about ads, but production services is a lot of what my company does. And just for you all to know, this is a crazy fucking time for podcasts <laughs> and everybody needs a producer right now. And you should never take less money than you, than you feel comfortable taking. Like never, especially like don't do stuff for free. Like, I mean, I don't know. I shouldn't say that because I did a couple things for free a while back. But this is an ex if you're a podcast producer and if you know how to cut tape and you know put it together and edit, this is an incredibly valuable skill set right now. Like we're desperately looking for mm -hmm. like great like senior producers, and so is so are all these other companies. Um, we're and often competing for the same people. Oh my god, yeah. yeah. And it's like competing so that it's we're like okay, we'll give you five thousand more, and then yeah. they come back. It's like a crazy, like it's a crazy time. So you should know how valuable your skill set is if you can do these things and you should know what a good time this is to get into this and never let anybody pay you less than what you think you're worth. Jenna, are you hiring? <laughs> yes, we are definitely hiring. Um, we're growing quickly and it's, I think it's a fun place to work. So <laughs> talk to me if you're interested. I want to leave time for, for questions as well. So if you guys have some, but, um, 
Let's get to, to this, this portion of it. What is success to you? Is it that million-dollar podcast? Is it the listenership? Is it um, having enough seed money to create other projects? What does that mean for each of you in these different realms? Um, I mean, Science Friday, I think Jenna would probably say the same thing, but um, we're mission-driven. So um, kind of meeting our goals in terms of making science more accessible is our primary goal. As long as we are not losing money, I think (laughs) we're successful. Yeah, I mean, success for me is really mostly about, um, like, my, like, dream is that people hear something that I worked on and are like, oh, that's a good show. Like, Mm -hmm. I really liked that. Um, That is, like, really what, like, always keeps me going. Money is really important, too. I mean, I I have a kid who was born a month after I started this business, and I knew that I had to be making more money than I was at my previous job. And so um, that's definitely a part of success. And I think, like, you know, if, if we're telling ourselves that, like, all we care about is, like, you know, an important mission and making good work, I think we're kind of lying to ourselves. <laughs> um, and that, you know, having money is, is not something to be afraid of. It's, it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's tough enough. <laughs> um, yeah, so I mean, I, I do want to, I know that there's a lot of questions that you guys might have. Do you feel ready to, to take some, some audience questions? Yeah, bring it on. Yeah, let's, let's do, do it. it. Go ahead. Hi, thanks for this great panel. My name is Nisi Panetta, and we're, we have a small team getting ready to launch a podcast about the 2018 midterm elections. I, just, I emailed you back, I think, the other day. So we're, um, we're planning to launch an election day, and it's called the MidPod. So you can sign up and be on our mailing list if you want. But my, I have two burning questions. One is about the promo codes and whether you can negotiate up front to make sure you get the essentially click-through data and conversion data with advertisers. Do they um, typically share that data back to you as a podcast? And the second one has to do with um, whether what, what kind of ROIs you see in terms of promoting a podcast with advertising on other podcasts or elsewhere. You want to hit the first one, I'll get the second. Okay. Um, okay, the first one. I Sorry, I, now I have the second one. <laughs> promo codes, do you, oh, yeah. do you yeah. get the data on who, who actually activated the promo yeah, codes? Yeah, I mean, the way that we've gotten that data on who actually um, you know, goes and buys the product is that we just ask them. Uh, so if we're working directly with a company, you know, like sometimes we'll work directly with, like, um, who have we worked directly with? I guess not that many places, but you... A lot of time you're working with like a mid-roll, which is an intermediary, or they'll sell, they'll go and sell your ads for you, and you can always ask them uh, how well did this do, like how many Casper mattresses did we sell, and sometimes they'll tell you because if they're not happy about it, <laughs> they'll come to you and and like ask if it can be on extra shows for free. So yeah, just ask, and then yeah, I mean in terms of like promo swaps, we found them immensely helpful for undiscovered. So um, my advice to you is to evaluate not all are created equal and the ones that you think might be the best promo swaps might turn out not to be. So we did a mixed bag of promo swaps. We took a survey at the end of the year to find out where people had heard us. And it was very surprising. The places where we weren't expecting much of a bump, we actually got a huge bump, but that helps us make determinations for seasons in the future and where to place our, our promo swaps. Yeah. And this is kind of related to, to money too, is how to get people to listen to your podcast, which is like the eternal question. And, (laughs) um, and promo swaps, meaning that like you promote a show on your show and that show promotes your show on their show. Those are really successful. The, the like only way of getting people to listen to your show is by either promoting it on other shows or uh, having your host on as like a guest on another show. Um, I mean, I used to work at BuzzFeed and we would put like, we would write a whole article about another round and BuzzFeed is a huge site, but no one would hear another round until they had like either heard about it on another show or like it was a word of mouth kind of thing. So that stuff is really important in growing your audience. Yeah, I mean, think really hard about who what your average listener looks like, like, I mean, honestly, what they look like and what they are probably listening to and start there in terms of where you would want to do some promo swaps. Let's take one from this side. Hello. 
Hello, my name is Florencia. I'm from South America. I was born in Uruguay. I live now in Argentina. And in our countries, uh, podcasters work for free. And I would like to know, <laughs> is reality, our reality, I would like to know um, which is your advice in order to convince the, our companies to invest in our podcast. Can I ask what company you work for? No, no, no. Oh, oh our, are, are there companies to invest so in? So you're yes. asking how to kind of change the model for... I'm asking, can I convince a company in Argentina, for example, in order to invest in my podcast? Uh, you know? Yeah, I mean, I don't see why you couldn't convince a... Especially a, if it's in Spanish, because that's the new yeah, realm. Sure. Yes, but in our countries, uh, people, uh, companies doesn't know who is the a podcast, for example. You, know, you understand me? Yeah, no. I mean, I, I guess I'm not super okay. familiar with, um, like, the South American, like, podcast market. I think it's... Um, terrible if the market is that you work for free because I can't imagine that is the case for other media um, mm -hmm. in, in South America so um, I mean maybe if you're looking for examples try to use the American podcast market as an example for why companies in South America should start investing in a podcast network in South America okay thank you over here um, hi hey um, so I pretty much understand what she was saying. I'm from Kenya as well, and um, the podcasting community on that side of the world is also very small, so trying to get people to put money in it is, is um, quite, uh, it's just gonna take a lot more of convincing because podcasts aren't very popular. So um, the, the podcast that I run, which is called The Spread, um, what we, uh, with regards to, you were talking about listeners, uh, we currently sell, when we're selling to people who are interested in advertising, we sell based off of the number of listens that we've received. We've been running for one and a half years. We sell it per the number of listeners that we've had for the last one and a half years. Because it, um, and I'm trying to figure out if what you're doing is, is basing it per episode. And if, so it's a three-part question. If, it's, if the listeners are per episode in order to sell to some an advertiser or to a sponsor. Secondly, um, if the subscribers have anything to do with the number of listeners, because sometimes people don't really subscribe to podcasts on SoundCloud. They just, you have more listeners than you do subscribers. And um, thirdly, how to be able to sell advertising segments at different parts of the podcast based off of like where people fall off, if there's a way to get the analytics for that. Does that make sense? So, uh, <laughs> um, yeah. Can we answer one of them just to keep it? <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I don't know if there's analytics yet uh, to see when people fall off. Or, yeah, or, it's yeah. hard. I mean, it depends what what uh, hosting service you're using. But most people still listen to their podcasts on iTunes, and you can't. A lot of them are downloaded, um, and once a file is downloaded, you can't see really what happens to it. So, unfortunately, you can't really see where people drop off. Um, and CPMs, we're talking about per episode. I mean, in, in an ideal world, you're not thinking too much about CPMs. Like, if, if you can get a company to just, you know, if, if you say, like, we get a bunch of listeners and we, we're looking for a sponsor, and if it's not based on exactly how many thousands of listeners you have per episode, that's ideal, um, because then you don't, you're not always, like, having to worry constantly about how many listeners you have every episode. So... But yeah, we're talking about, it, it's like a, the CPM is a per episode thing. I mean, regardless of how many listeners you have per episode, what you want to see is that the subscription base is going up, whether that's by, you know, two or three, you, that's the direction you want to be going in is that mm -hmm. for every episode that you have, more people are interested in kind of episodes going forward. Did you say you're only on SoundCloud, too? Or are there different platforms? Uh, so SoundCloud is where I upload the podcast the onto, and then um, I send the R RSS feed out to, like, Apple and... Oh, and subscriptions don't, don't really matter. It's really based on, uh, like, plays per episode. Okay. Thank you. Hi, um, my name's Lori, and it may not be exactly this session I should ask this, but I'm an activist academic, don't come from the world of media. I'm very interested in podcasts and have been sitting trying to learn. But 
could somebody there just say, what is the range of activities that a producer does in a podcast? Like, what is that role? Because if you don't interact with it daily, I'm not clear of the boundaries of that role. Yeah. So it's a very newbie question, but it's a, it's a good yeah. question. Yeah. I think it depends, honestly, on the, the size of your operation is what I think the more specialized producers are generally at larger organizations. But as we talked about here, you wear lots of different hats. Mm -hmm. Our producers do everything from story um, sourcing to research to scripting to editing to interviewing that's kind of across across the board. So everything. Every, yeah. yeah, ours too. And it's a lot of the technical stuff too. Mm -hmm. So really like assembling a story. Hi, I'm Sharon. I have a new podcast, Do Good, Be Good. And because I have a specialized niche for my podcast, I'm trying to work with people in helping professions, like nonprofits and things like that. I was successful at going and talking to a company that does volunteer management training and getting them as a sponsor for my first season. Now I feel a lot of pressure because I just, I didn't really know what I was doing, so I got a flat rate and it was pretty good. And so now, I mean, I literally have 70 listeners because I'm only on my second episode and I haven't really done anything to promote or launch. So I'm, I now feel the pressure that I have a sponsor and I want to make this successful for the sponsor. And so I'm guessing, just kind of wondering how you, how you navigate that world of trying to make this a success, not just because it's your creative project and you want it to be successful, but trying to do things that will specifically make it successful for the people who have decided to sponsor it. Does that make sense? I mean, you're interested in sponsorship too because you want to be paid at the end yeah. of the day and you want to be able to continue this project. So um, I do think it's a very, it's a, it's a fine line. It's really, you're going to have to do both. Um, and the sponsor is, in all likelihood, unless it's a personal relationship, going to be interested in the numbers at the end of the, the season. So they're going to want to know how many people that they've been getting their brand and name in front of. I guess, is there anything you do outside of just general promotion because you know you have a specific sponsor and you want to make sure to promote it in a way that will make it more successful to them actually getting the ROI they're hoping to get out of it? It's really stressful when, yeah. <laughs> when, yeah, I mean, I've been in the situation where we're just not getting the listeners that we promised, and I think a lot, almost every show has been in, in that position at some point. Um, and, yeah, I mean, that's, it's hard. That's all I can say. It's like, I wish I could help you more, but, yeah, it's, it's scary. Okay. Thanks. <laughs> Hi, my name is Lindsay. I actually just found out that our Argentinian friend and I know each other, so that's how crazy this conference is. Um, <laughs> but I work for a publishing company and I'm in pre-production for a podcast. Um, and my question is kind of for Jenna. Um, when you want to launch with a part, like would you launch with a partner or would I launch with a partner if I could? Or um, should I already start um, creating the pi pilot and then pitch it to someone, a media company? Um, what, what do you, in your opinion, is better to do? So you're doing a podcast for a publishing company, did you say? Yeah, it's it's a book publishing company, and it's like about their the company or no? It's it's a little bit more niche about um, specific kind of books. It's not really like in production yet, so I don't want to give everything away. But yeah, um, yeah. yeah, we have pretty much the concept ready to go, and we're writing scripts and we're talking to editors. Um, we don't have anything recorded yet, but we have everything set up. But um, I guess my question is really more so like if we did if the idea is to sort of get a partner at some point to help us with reach and to help us with just resources as well, is it better to look to a media company to launch initially or is it better to do the pilot first and then to send it to a potential partner to um, work with? Yeah, I think it's good to do a pilot first um, and you know shop it around if you want. But if you're working for a publisher that has like a good marketing and promotional wing, they should be able to market and, and promote this well. And they're, you know, partnering with somebody probably won't, it, it probably will cost you more than what it gives you, basically. So I would consider just, yeah, trying to do it with the, I mean, you already have a partner in this company, and that's kind of a, you know, that's already kind of a rare thing. A lot of people that's are true. just trying yeah. to do these, you know, themselves. So Yeah, I just feel like the new thing is every time someone comes out with a podcast, there's a partnership. Another <laughs> publishing company that obviously is one of our competitors launched with Book Riots, and a few other ones launched with um, 
like just I, I don't I can't think of them off the top of my head, but we were just wondering if that was an option for us as well. Yeah, I mean also part like partnerships mean many different things too. Mm-hmm. So it could just be that you find someone to you know pay a little money to to promote you on their podcast, and that's considered a partnership. So true. Um, yeah, so I mean there are all sorts of creative ways to partner. It's definitely not like a a science and um, right. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> Hi, my name is Allison, and I am a bootstrapping podcaster coming to you from my closet very often. And <laughs> we're hearing lots of stories about like WNYCs looking for ideas in-house and from the people who are, who are already doing it. But it's sounding like a lot more fun to join you guys. So I'm wondering <laughs> if you have any tips on pitching or how to present yourself to break through and those of us on the outside with good ideas. How can we join you? Just before you, before you answer, there is a pitching session at 3.45 with Jenna, I think, <laughs> I'll, right I'll here. Excellent. So she, you can pitch her then sure. as no, well. You already had to apply to get into it. So oh, really? About, yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm oh. sorry. They sent out an email, and I think they only took like five pitches or something like that. So. Oh, okay. oh, But you can probably sit there. Well, yeah. I mean, well, I'll go home and send you an email later, but how do I cut through? Well, so what do you like to see, I guess? Yeah, I mean, here's an intro. <laughs> A thing that when you're pitching a show, you really should know what that company does. We get a lot of pitches that are just like not anything we would ever do. And you guys probably, I mean, like, you know, I think every company kind of has a different thing that they're doing. A lot of what we're doing now is kind of like in 2018 is going to be a lot of like six to ten part like very deeply reported kind of documentaries and some fiction. So that's kind of what we're looking for. If you're look, if you, you know, if you want to pitch a weekly show, Gimlet might be a good place. Um, you know, Panoply, Midroll. Uh, so mm-hmm. just really like research the place you're pitching because I get kind of annoyed when <laughs> I like Absolutely. get things that are like, why would I ever do this? Right. I think, yeah, you want to prove basically that like you're willing to do your homework so that the company, therefore, is also wanting to make a similar investment. I mean, we get people that mail us rocks, and they're like, this is a story. Here's where I found them. Like, <laughs> It's amazing a- what people think <laughs> is a story. Yeah. <laughs> um, so. We are almost out of time. I yeah, wanted to say you. one more thing, if you don't mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah please. So we'll, let's yeah. take one more, and then okay. we can wrap with uh, that. Yes. So sorry, guys. We're getting pushed off. One last question. We're around. Yeah. I'm around, though, and you know, we're all around if you want to talk more. Hi, my name is Amber J. Phillips. I'm also known as the High Priestess of Black Joy. Um, I host a podcast, it's true. I host a podcast called The Black Joy Mixtape with Jazz the KOS, the King of the South. Um, And one of the things I noticed is that there are where, I'm based in DC and there are so many black folks, queer people, people of color, who have been exposed to our little baby podcast through getting very lucky, ending up on The Breakfast Club and black media platforms. Um, but I'm also having, and this was, I'm so grateful for this conference because it, like, we don't, we don't know any of this. Like, we don't know the deals or these different pieces and hearing what our listeners need to be up to in order to get sponsorships. But the sponsorships will help us to have more resources to put out better content and to get you know, production quality up. So my question is, how are you all investing in specifically, because we know a lot of, by the look of the room, no tea, no shade, but getting more people of color um, to be listeners. And I find a lot of joy in like actually teaching black folks in like Ohio how, like that there's a podcast app on their iPhone. But I wanted to know how you all are investing or doing the work of finding these gems of people of color podcasters that might be recording in their living rooms to get them up to the 10K listeners, to get them more access to all the things that you are talking about here today. I mean, I can say from Science Fridays, like that's super important that you like, you're thinking about that. I think a lot of people here are thinking about stuff like that. Um, From Science Friday's perspective, where we have an opportunity is obviously with sourcing our guests. We made a commitment a, um, a couple years ago to make sure that 50% of the guests that we have on the Science Friday program um, are women. And that is true to this day. So um, from there, it's now trying to take a step to make sure that we're sourcing diverse guests as a part of our program. And we're working our damnedest to make sure that that is something that we're we're doing the hard part for us um as a science program is that unfortunately there isn't a ton of diversity in science there's trap science on youtube if you your <laughs> thank you <laughs> there's trap in front of you, you 
Yeah, I mean, like, so, like, you know, trying to, like, basically, like, we're, it's something that we're aware of, and basically we're always looking to make sure that we have diversity amongst our our guests. Um, and we've only launched one podcast, so I can't speak to other <laughs> networks. Yeah, <but. laughs> we've launched a bunch, and I'm I'm excited to say that I think every single one of our podcasts is hosted either by people of color, queer people, or women. Um, I don't think we have any straight male, like, <laughs> straight white male hosts. I mean, and that's always, that's always been really important to me. And when it comes to money, too, like, I don't want to be, like, super crass about it, but when I was in public radio, there was this idea that, like, oh, we do this because of, like, the mission. Like, we need to have diversity because, like, because of the mission. And it just felt, it just felt like no one really, like, understood it, and it was there were these like weird ways that people of color were supposed to be represented, like either as sort of like civil rights heroes or like ex drug addicts. And it was, I found it offensive, frankly. Um, there, yeah, there wasn't much space for, you know, for nuance. And uh, I mean, and then when I went to Buzzfeed, we started another round and another, I mean, a thing that money wise, like a show like another round immediately or not immediately, but quickly got a ton of listeners. Um, and I think it's, it's really short sighted if people are just making podcasts for like existing audiences. I think if, if you really like, if you want to do cool stuff and if you want to make money in the space, frankly, like you have to look at audiences who haven't had enough content made for them and you have to figure out how to make that content. And there are still a lot of groups that are pretty, you know, missed by, by podcasts, and I think we should all be making content for people who don't have much content made for them. Mm -hmm. I know we didn't, yeah. <laughs> Thank you again for being part of this panel. You guys are awesome. Yeah. And I know we didn't get to all of your questions, so how can people reach you? Yeah, I mean, I'm just gonna give you my email address. Anybody here is welcome to email me. It's pretty easy, it's danielle at sciencefriday.com. So. Um, come and find me afterwards or shoot me a message and I'll get back to you so we can continue the conversation. Yeah, same here. You might have to email me like two or three times, but uh, <laughs> it's a crazy time right now, but I'm Jenna at pineapple.fm. Um, pretty easy to reach. Uh, and one last thing I wanted to say is that, again, it's really, it's hard to make money off of your podcast. And um, I think a way to think of some of this is that you want, it's, it's, a great, it's great to host your own show, if you also have the production skills, uh, that's a, it's just so marketable right now. And if you can have like your own show that you're hosting, but then you're making money by putting together, you know, shows for maybe brands or other people, um, I think that's a good way to go right now. And you can do really well in this field. <laughs> so I'm I'm glad you're all here. Thanks for coming. <laughs> That was Danielle Dana, Jenna Weiss-Berman, and Mandana Mofidi speaking at the 2017 Work It Festival. Both the festival and the podcast are produced by WNYC Studios and are made possible by a grant from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with additional support from the Annenberg Foundation. Event sponsors include Cole Hahn, Mac Cosmetics, and thirdlove.com. <laughs>